Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Today's a special day. It's Tuesday. And on the Employment Matters podcast, that means Travel Tuesday, where each week we get the chance to dial in our members from all around the world who share with us some of the important things we need to know about doing business in their jurisdiction. Today, we're going to be learning more about doing business in Australia. I'm pleased to welcome to the show Michael Nicolazzo, a partner at Maddox. Michael, how are you today? I'm very well, Peter. Thanks for uh, having me today. How are you going? I'm doing just fine. Yeah, I think we're uh, at different ends of the time zone spectrum here and also different seasons. Lots of things different in the two different corners of the world between the US and Australia. Let's catch up, though, and and fill in some of our listeners on some of the things about Australia, particularly as it as it relates to the jurisdiction's economy, maybe something about population or demographics, a little on government structure, whatever you think might be important. Yeah, great. No worries. I guess Australia is quite a unique country in that we still have our formal head of state as Queen Elizabeth II. Now, our structure is, you know, those as a parliamentary constitutional monarchy. We've got six states and two territories. We've got a population of around 25 million people. Our eastern seaboard, made up of primarily Sydney and Melbourne, are our most populous cities, and industries are, are largely centred on that eastern seaboard. Perth, over in Western Australia, also has quite a few industries specific to, to that jurisdiction as well. And we've got a unique, well, it, it's largely unique to Australia, where we've got legislative power shared between federal and state parliaments, and particularly in the employment space, both state parliaments and federal parliaments have responsibility to some extent. The primary piece of legislation in Australia is the Fair Work Act, and that does govern all Australian employees, regardless of where they reside. Let's talk a little bit about some of the industries that are down there. What is kind of leading the industrial food chain in Australia, if we can? It's largely a mix, I guess, of you know, mining, manufacturing, professional services, finance, health, construction, and probably, I'd say, education as well. And I mentioned before at the start how you know, Perth and, and I guess Western Australia has a bit of a unique makeup. They primarily focus on mining. So they've got a, a big mining industry over there. And again, coming back to the eastern seaboard, we're largely more about professional services, finance, hub over here. I think you know, one comment I would make is education while it's a primary industry, it's largely been reliant on international students of late, I guess pre-pandemic. And so that we've seen a bit of a hit for the higher education institutions given the, or I guess um, the, the drying up of international students coming over here because of the borders being shut down to, to deal with the pandemic. That industry specifically will, will kick off again once international students return. So let's talk about employing locally in Australia. Let's say I'm a company from North America or Latin America, yeah. Europe, somewhere. What are some of the key structural issues we need to know about when employing locally in Australia? Do you have works councils or unions an issue, affirmative action, any of those kind of things, Michael? Yeah, we've got, so I think I mentioned, we've got the primary piece of legislation, which is the Fair Work Act. And that governs the employment relationship and it creates what's known as a, a national safety net of minimum wages and terms and conditions. So employers have an obligation to comply with what are known as the National Employment Standards. So we politically refer to them here as the NES, and they deal with a whole bunch of matters, including maximum weekly hours of 38 hours per week, the right to request flexible work arrangements, annual leave or holiday pay of 20 days per year, 
which accumulates year to year. Personal leave or, or sick leave of 10 days per year. And again, that also accumulates and notice of termination. We've also got here a long service leave regime. So while each state provides its own unique long service leave regime, and generally after seven years of service, an employee is entitled to take long service leave. Well, we've also got protections from what is known as unfair dismissal for certain employees. So employers need to have a valid reason and adopt a fair process to dismiss employees who are covered by that jurisdiction. Otherwise, each employee has access to what are known as general protections. And that prohibits employers from taking adverse action against employees who exercise workplace rights. So that's quite a broad concept, and I might give you an example. So it's unlawful for an employer to dismiss an employee, for example, if that employee makes complaints about their workplace or, or raises concerns about their working conditions or their leave entitlements or potentially a perceived bullying environment. So in that circumstance, the employee can say, I've been treated unfairly because I exercised a workplace right. In addition to, to the Act, we've got industrial instruments that apply. So there's what are known as modern awards, and they are industry-wide instruments which contain specific terms and conditions for that particular industry. For example, there's a general retail industry award, which allows for certain penalties and allowances for, for different hours of work, by, for one example. And we've also got what are known as enterprise or business-specific agreements, and they apply to specific enterprises which set out terms and conditions that only apply to that enterprise, and those agreements are bargained between the employer and employees. But that's where we see unions get involved. So they, often unions will bargain on behalf of employees, and they've got an automatic right to um, participate in that process as well. And then, like I said at the, at the outset, we've got an overlay of state-based legislation as well as the, the federal legislation. At a federal level, we've also got a number of pieces of discrimination or anti-discrimination legislation, as well as at a state-based level. And there are specific health and safety acts as well, which require steps to be taken to protect the health and, health and safety of employees. So how would you describe the general business climate, in your opinion? Would you say that it leans more pro-business or is it really pro-employee? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. What I would say is that there is there's a level of regulation in the Australian landscape which is quite prescriptive. And I would say, given that level of regulation, there's a lot of commentary that it is pro-employee. We do see employers often get tripped up in respect of the payment of wages and potential underpayments because of the prescription set out in modern awards, for example. But you know, I'd say it's probably a bit more nuanced than that. Employers can terminate an employee's employment if they have a valid reason. It needs to be fair, can't be capricious. They need to adopt a fair process. And so I think our advice to clients, provided they act, in a, you know, act reasonably and, and in accordance with the Act or, or the various uh, instruments, it doesn't mean it's you know, pro-employee or pro-employer. I, I would say probably on the whole, it's largely balanced. Some industries are subject to, to greater regulation. So we've got construction industry, which is heavily unionised, and there is a whole raft of health and safety requirements and obligations. And you know, I'm sure many employers in that industry would say the construction industry is pro-employee. But like I would say on balance, it, it's probably, yeah, it, it, there, is a, there is a balance that Parliament seeks to adopt. Great. 
Last question would really be about some of the cross-border opportunities that might be in the region. You know, depending on where you are, if you're in Europe, you've got a free movement of people across the EU. Mm. But then recently, especially given all the challenges we've had with world travel, countries like Australia have been difficult to get to. So give us a sense of the cross-border business opportunities in the region. And also, let's spend a little time on the immigration standards. Are they difficult? Are they easy? Are there any special visa programs or things for expats? Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I might just address that last point. I think what we've seen with the impact of the pandemic, Australia has been pretty vigilant in closing its borders and they've remained shut for quite some time, a lot more so than other countries around the world. And what that has meant, because we are dependent to an extent on migrants coming over and, and, and skilled migrants coming over to work here, we've seen a real shortage of uh, employees and that's across every industry. All my clients that I speak to are suffering in terms of labour shortages and finding it really difficult to, to find staff. But I think more broadly, there are visa requirements. So you know, generally to work in Australia, you do need to be an Australian citizen. There's rights for what are known as permanent residents to, to work in Australia as well. But otherwise, people who don't have a citizenship or permanent residency need a valid visa with work rights to be able to work here. We're, we're quite close to New Zealand, and so there are certain exceptions to those strict requirements with New Zealand and citizens of New Zealand have broad work rights under a special category visa. But otherwise, there's a whole bunch of visas required for employees. There's there's short-term visas, long-term visas, skilled and and sponsored visas or investment uh, and working holidays. Student visas uh, are also available. They impose requirements for the number of hours a particular student can work while they're studying. So it's quite a quite a regulated area of law here in Australia. But I think we will see once borders reopen, you know, I think migration levels will increase. And there's been some commentary I've seen in the, in the paper recently about the impact that will have on wage growth. And so I think the key thing for employers looking to do business here in Australia is to ensure that visa requirements are all up to date and to ensure that employees are legally entitled to, to work in Australia. Wonderful. Well, always great to hear what's going on down under. See, we say down under up here. You must say up over over there. I don't know what goes on, but it's always interesting to learn more. And and Michael, we're so glad to have your firm as a part of our organization. And we appreciate the update. Hope you stay well out there. Thanks, Peter. I really enjoyed having a chat with you and really enjoy working with all the member firms in the ALA. If you'd like to connect with Michael Nicolazzo, you can find his bio by clicking on his name in the description of this podcast. Also visit ela.law to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content in our online library, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks so much for listening.